0: Welcome to the Grace Point Church podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. What are you going to do with the Jesus call? You got basically three options as I see it. You can give me another option and we'll add it to the list. But one is you can just simply miss the call. Miss the calling uh, of Jesus on your life is a pretty sad moment. But we got to realize, and I cannot just go into this message about the Jesus calling and not bring it up as I brought it up last week, and we're going to talk even more about it in the days ahead. And that is the reality that without hearing, you will not have faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. However, you got to realize this world, there are 277 billion excuse me, million, not that, million people that are unreached, that are unengaged in our world right now. That basically means this, that they do not have access to the gospel. They do not have a church. They do not have a missionary. They do not have even probably a gospel or even a beginning of the gospel. They literally have no clue about the Jesus calling. And so we cannot talk about the Jesus calling and just whoosh on and talk about it, about how it relates to us, unless we understand that there's a whole little world out there that has never heard of his name. The second option is you can just simply ignore. Jive Communications did a study of about 2,000 Americans talking to, looking at their phone habits. And we've figured out this, this whole ignore button, okay? In fact, less than 1%, according to the Jive Communications study, less than 1% of the people who were part of the study said that they never used the ignore button. Okay, so that means 99% of us have figured out ignore. What was interesting when you got into the Jive study is who do we ignore? Uh, this is maybe a revelation, uh, not, not much of a revelation, but 77% of us ignore sales calls. Okay, no, 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 no big epiphany there. But it's interesting when you get into ignoring your mother, about one out of every two will ignore their mother. Okay, no confessions in the room today. Uh, 22%, that's one in four, just about, will ignore their partner, their, their significant other. Well, again, no confessions in the room on if you hit ignore on your significant other. But the point is, is that we've figured out how to turn things off and move on. And that can be good and that can be bad because who you ignore does matter. Okay, I don't bother me if you ignore a sales call. I do that. So whenever you start ignoring your partner, the person you're supposed to love and create priorities uh, in, in your life and schedule, then they then can become a problem if that becomes the habit of your life. If God is speaking to you. If God initiates, as we talked about last week, a calling on your life, He initiates it. And it's with great intentionality that He is initiating this calling. And as He's initiating this calling into uh, us, into Him, we have an immediate response we can either accept or we can ignore. I would challenge you to take the call. Take the call of Jesus when He calls you. It will be a disruption. Every call is a disruption. You're in a meeting. Somebody calls, you take it, it's a disruption. You're driving down the road, you're focusing on the road. A call comes in, you choose, take it or not take it. It's a disruption. Every call that comes into your life is a disruption. Jesus is walking by the the Sea of Galilee. He sees four fishermen out there, professional, commercial fishermen. And he disrupts the rhythms of their day and he calls them to follow me. Calls them out of their normal everyday routines And they're working profit and losses, and they're working on... And he says, follow me. It was an invitation. This is a very common invitation as we look through the the, the Gospels. 23 different times do you find those two words together translated, follow me. It is a very common phrase that you don't want to just skip over. Being a disciple will become a disruption to your normal everyday life. But here's the reality. That calling to follow me is led, followed by a realization, a title if you want to take it, but a realization that I am now following someone. I'm now answering that call to follow. Therefore, I am becoming a disciple. I'm becoming a follower that is going to look like my teacher. I'm going to imitate my teacher. Now, in the the Bible, we've got to understand that the word Christian is actually only used three times. And two of the three times, it's actually not Christians calling themselves Christians. It's actually the world outside looking at the Christians and saying, you're looking a lot like Jesus. So me calling myself a Christian is really not what I like to do. I want to call myself a follower of Jesus or a disciple Disciple is used over 200 times, 259 times in the New Testament. So if you want to take on a title, if you want to be called something, you want to recognize, be, be recognized as something, be recognized as a follower of Jesus who is disciple, being discipled by Jesus. That is really what we're called. So if, again, take or leave the, the, the title of, of Christian if you want it, but really, are you a disciple? Are you following? Have you answered that call? Now, I know the word disciple could probably have a lot of ambiguity because it's not something we actually use a lot in our language today. In fact, it was about uh, six years ago that we were sitting in the conference room with a bunch of pastors of our church and realizing in this meeting, as I'm hearing people talk about discipleship, that there were a lot of different definitions even among our pastors about what a disciple was. Now, it wasn't we were all wrong, we were all all over the page, but we all had different components to what was a disciple. So therein, you have a problem. If you're making disciples, but we're all making different things of what a disciple is, you've got a problem. You don't have a clear target of what you're aiming at. So the navigators and myself pulled aside, and we kind of focused on the 259 f- times the word disciple, or disciples is used in Scripture. And we looked for common ground. We looked at every single verse... And we landed on, this is grace points, I don't know what other churches will use as their definition, but we landed on this phrase as our definition for what a disciple is. That's the person who's following Jesus, this is what it is, that a person is becoming fully obedient multiplier following Jesus. Okay, becoming, we talked about that last week, when God initiates a call, he has an intentionality behind the call, and there's an immediate response from us, yes or no, okay? Can't just say, wait, God, because even that is a decision. So it's, it's that, that, that becoming, and God is going to begin to work, and he's going to begin to transform. He's going to begin to change our lives. Becoming, following him, you become fishers of men. So God's going to do a work in us. But then there's that other phrase, fully obedient. This is when the stakes get a little higher. This is whenever we, 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 we step into a space where we lose a little bit of our own personal sovereignty. Where I'm no longer calling the shots in my life, but I'm actually listening to someone else because after all, I'm following him. After all, I'm a disciple of him. So therefore, I just can't call my own shots. I'm now taking my time, my talents, my treasures, and I'm laying them out there. and I'm saying, God, you're calling the shots. So therefore, it becomes a little a little bit real, more real whenever I say I'm a follower of Jesus and I think about what does obedience, fully obedient look like, then I look at my tithing and I go, okay, am I actually giving a dime out of every dollar? Or am I doing some kind of voodoo math on this and kind of making my own excuses? Or am I following the Scriptures on that? Or when the Scripture says think more highly of others than think of yourself, and I think about Jesus came to to not to be served, but to serve, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, then I have to ask myself, am I like Jesus? Do I put myself out there to serve others? I wanna say kudos to our church. And you're gonna say this, you're gonna agree with me in a moment. Whenever we put out a few weeks ago, the needs of our church and just, again, just taking care of discipleship needs of our children and the next generation and also our first impression. So many areas of ministry that you could involve in that it was, it is exciting to get a report from Caleb this week that we've had 40 people in the past three weeks step up and find their place of ministry and say, I'm stepping in to this place of ministry. Could, can you just give everyone in this room a round of applause for the 40 who said, yes, God's calling me and I'm stepping into space. That's just in the past th- three weeks. And so let us pray that God would provide. Uh, Again, it's not about our ability. Sometimes it's about our availability because God is going to work in us and he's going to ask us to be fully obedient. It's one thing to sit in this room. This is what some people think disciple means, becomes a Christian, is that you sit in the room, the preacher preaches, and he asks you to raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. I've done that. Raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. Raise your hand if you want to follow Jesus. Pray this prayer if you want to follow Jesus. Listen, Jesus isn't looking for raised hands. He's not looking for empty words. He's looking for us to raise our life up and say, Jesus, my life is yours. That's what a disciple is. Becoming fully obedient in every area of our life. Take your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 14. Trent read from there a while ago. May have had some shocker statements in there, uh, but let us, let us just dwell on the, the reality of what is going on in Jesus' ministry here. He is not, a, uh, you're going to see today, he's not trying to whittle his group down, it, it, but there's a quality and quantity aspect that's going on. Jesus is trying to make more disciples, at the same time he's trying to make better disciples. In fact, two verses prior to our text, in verse 23, it says, And the master said to the servant, Go into the highways, go into the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. Now, that sounds to me like Jesus wanting quantity. He's wanting a lot of people to be in his house, to be there. That's an invitation. And Jesus is going to put his invitation out there for us. But the reality is, is that he's in the next few verses. In verse 25, he's going to start speaking to that big crowd. Verse 25, now the crowd, now the great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said. We'll deal with what he said in a moment. But there's a great crowd of people around him. What he's going to do now is he's going to try to move the crowd to the committed. The big crowd's in this room right now, from this side of the room to that side of the room, watching online, there's a crowd of people. But God is trying to move the crowds to the committed. He's trying to move the, the, the onlookers to the followers. He's trying to call us into becoming fully obedient is what it means to be a disciple. Now, what's important, he gives us an opportunity risk assessment here, okay? Look down a few verses after this and go down to verse 28. He says, in which you were desiring to build a house, which of you were desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost. There's a cost involved here. Whether he will have enough to complete it. So he uses the house or the, the tower metaphor. And then he goes on, he says, otherwise he laid a foundation and he will not be able to finish and, he, he, and all we'll see is it began and mock him. And, and then he says, and a man began to build uh, and was not able to finish. Here's a second metaphor. And the king goes out to encounter another king in war and doesn't sit down and first Deliberate, whether, deliberate on whether he's able with 10,000 to meet uh, him who comes to him with 20,000. Are you able to do an opportunity risk assessment on your discipleship? But every one of us needs to do that. We need to understand that there's a cost involved in this. And the cost is we don't want to miss this because three different times, three different times, verse 26, verse 27, and verse 33, he says this statement cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple, cannot be my disciple. You're not just a disciple because you're in the crowd, because you call yourself a Christian. You're a disciple when I'm following him, I'm being obedient to him, I'm willing to step into the space of what it means to fully follow Jesus and to follow his steps. That's why I said last week, that the call of a disciple is for everyone, but it's not just for anyone. When we realize that, to, that Jesus wants everyone to be his disciples, but not anyone, just anyone can do it. There's a, there's a standardization that Jesus has. Jesus' calling is both beautiful and it's tragic. It's life-giving and life-demanding. It's free and it's costly. So I want us to address the cost of being a disciple of Jesus today based on his words to the crowds as he's trying to draw the crowds to be the committed ones of him. First of all, the very first cost that you've got to put on the table, you've got to understand, and you're doing your risk analysis on whether or not I'm willing to pay this price is that I will have an unrivaled love for Jesus. Unlike I love anything else, I will love Jesus. Unlike my hobbies, unlike my spouse, even more than my kids, I will love Jesus more than anything. This is, I want you to also see in this, that Jesus will model this for us in the way he loves us. It's always about him initiating, him modeling, and then us responding and loving him in the same manner. But this is exactly the way Jesus does. Jesus does not have this vibes kind of love. He has a life kind of love. John chapter 10, verse 27, it says, My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now, in this right here, you'll see Jesus talks about a high commitment and a high relationship. High commitment that he's going to lead them, okay? He's going to show them the way to go. But there's a high relationship that he knows us by name. Now that should bring encouragement to every last one of us who, I'm in here, nobody knows my name, I'm going to slide in and slide out. But here's some good news for you, or reality news for you. Jesus knows you here. And Jesus knows your name. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. High relationship. And they follow me, so that means Jesus has got to lead us. All right, so it's a commitment on His part. Here, I want you to kind of look at it in this quadrant, kind of a, a bracket, kind of way of looking at things. Our diagram, and I want you to understand it. In high relationship, is is kind of the the the, the horizontal, and and the vertical would be the high commitment. Now, if you take those and you kind of put them there and you kind of think about those in those different boxes, I want you to identify where you're at. If you're a low commitment and a low relationship person, then you just basically are a nun, all right? That's not the nun as in the Catholic nun either. You're probably not even in this room. Or if you're in this room, you probably didn't come by choice. There's just like low commitment, unless you just happen to get here, and there's low, low relationship. You're not loving to be here. That could be you. You could be in that none category. But if you go up to the high commitment but low relationship, that leads to legalism. There's a lot of churches that thrive in that world. They don't foster up a love relationship. They don't encourage a love relationship. Parents even can get to that point where it's like do, 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 do. It's this long list of do's and don't, 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 don't. And it's all about performance. It leads to legalism. But then you can have those that have Low commitment, but they have a high relationship. And I call this the Jesus vibes. Yeah, I love Jesus. When it's convenient, I love Jesus. I'm going to raise my hands when I come to worship. When it's, it's this love vibe kind of thing. What we're looking for is the high commitment, high relationship. That's a disciple. Where are you in this? Jesus said, If you love me, high relationship, you will keep my commandments high commitment. It's going to require something of you, friends. It's going to require a love relationship that you're going to love him more than anybody else, more than anything else. Verse 26, it says this, now a great crowd accompanied him, and they turn, that's verse 25, it says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and his mother and his wife and his children and his brothers and his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What a statement. Hate? Hate your father and your mother? What what, what, what are you talking about here? This is totally a hyperbole. There's not a scholar out there that would would even look at this passage and say he's literally asking us to hate our family. No. No. Not at all. It's a hyperbole. If you want to draw a graph out, it's like, I love my family. I love my kids. I love my spouse. I love this. I love that. I love my things. I love my hobbies. But then your love for Jesus is unrivaled. That's what he's calling us to. Is there anything in your life that you love more than Jesus? that's what it called to be a disciple. There was a young man who came to our church back when we didn't have this building, we only had that building. And I can remember he came into the worship center. He's still on this side about midway back, he came with his family and he was going through. His family was literally falling apart. They'd gone through a lot. He, he, was, uh, he was a fitness coach and, and, and he comes up to me on day one. And after I preached my message, and I can remember he reminded me, I preached the message on Jacob wrestling with God. And uh, he said, I need you to train me on how to wrestle with God. He's a fitness guy. And it's like, okay, I need you to train me on how to get rid of this weight here. All right? So we entered into this symbiotic relationship where we, he was training me, and we literally would meet at his home gym, and we would work out, and then we would, or we would do a Bible study, and then we'd work out because that would be worthless after a, after a workout. And, and we would do that. We'd just switch back and forth, and it was a fun kind of thing. And we came to this verse right here. And this verse did not sit well with him. He said, what do you mean? I'm supposed to hate my family? My family's falling apart. I'm trying to love them, and bring them back together. He like, no, 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 this is a hyperbole. He said, exaggerating something? He said, I cannot imagine not loving my family more than I love anything else. I said, no, we need to love Jesus in an unrivaled way. Nothing compares to our love for Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. And you know what? Jesus, what I saw in that individual, sadly enough, is that he walked away from the Lord on that day. And he never came back. His marriage ended up falling apart. His business ended up collapsing. It's a sad story. I even tried to look him up this weekend, knowing just to see where he's at. Couldn't find him. John chapter 6, verse 66 is one of the saddest verses in the Bible. After many of his disciples turned back, no longer walked with him. There are some people who will literally walk away from Jesus and not turn back. It's sad. Unrivaled love is what we're called to an unlimited sacrifice for Jesus is also the cost. What am I willing to sacrifice? There is nothing more central, nothing more important, nothing more sobering, nothing more beautiful and nothing uglier than the cross of Christ. It is gruesome and yet beautiful. It's an expression of love, but it's also an expression of sin and darkness all rolled up into one. It's it's an expression of liberation, but it's also an expression of death. So it's got all of this dichotomy going on inside of the cross. And what are we told to do? We're told to carry that cross. First Peter chapter two, verse 24 and 25 says, He himself, Jesus, again, speaking of his high commitment, his high Relationship with us, he bore on our, uh, bore our sins on his body. That's a heavy commitment. All the sins of all the world, of all the times, of all people, everybody has ever done anything, thought anything, said anything, done anything wrong. It all went on Jesus. High commitment, high relationship. He did it because of love on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. This is a statement that Peter picks up from Isaiah. This unlimited sacrifice that I'm going to take all the sins of all the world and I'm going to put it on myself. But then what Jesus is going to turn around to his disciples, and he's going to do this even before he goes to the cross, and he's going to call them to carry a cross themselves. Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Again, we're lo- just looking at the three statements of what does it take? I cannot be his disciple if I have love for anything else greater than my love for him. I cannot be a disciple if I'm not willing to step into the space of, of carrying this cross. and again, What does this cross mean? So if the first time he uses it, it won't be the last time he uses it. He's going to refer to it also in Luke chapter 9 verse 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, following me, Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily. So this is not a once and done thing. This is not something I did when I was eight years old and I don't have to do it again. This is an every day, all my life, every day of my life that I'm carrying this instrument of death daily and follow me. See, it's a call to follow, but a call to follow is a call to die. A die to what? Die to self. Self-interest, selfish ambitions. See, the cross is not only a way to eternal life, it's a way to a sacred life. And if I wake up every morning and I walk throughout the day and I'm carrying the cross, then I'm pushing myself and my desires and my ambitions and my self-entitlements and all, I'm pushing that out of the way and I'm saying, what is most important for Christ? What most represents Christ? What most looks like Jesus? And I'm putting everything else to the side. Paul said it like this, I die daily, every day. There's a part of me that needs to die. That sounds so morbid, but here's the reality. Two truths about dying daily. One is something in me must die so that I can live. You know this from the organic world out there. Sometimes you've got to prune branches so that more life can come back. Sometimes you've got to purge before you can see growth getting the self-centered, self-seeking, self-promoting out of the way and get us God-centered, God-seeking, Jesus-loving, Jesus-promoting. That's when Paul said this in Galatians 2.20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. It's not my life, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Something in me must die every single day so that I can really live. Something, an attitude, a way about me so that I can really live. And the second thing is something in me must die every day so that I can be free. It's amazing the amount of things that shackle us and hold us back that we can't seem to break free from. It's a habit. It's a hang-up. It's a It's an addiction. It's an attitude that we just can't get free from. Remember what Peter said. He said that by his wounds we're healed. By our wounds, we're gonna be set free. And that freedom metaphor is throughout Paul's writings in Romans chapter six, verse four and following. He said, so we too might walk in newness of life. Again, new life comes through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. As I enter into that and I walk in that, the old self was crucified with him. So my old self has died with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that I no longer am a slave to sin. No longer a slave to my addictions, my attitudes, the things that destroy relationships, the things that t- destroy my character. I'm able to walk in freedom because I've been set free, because I've died and put it aside. Galatians 5 1. The freedom of Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Whenever I was working on my graduate degree and living in Memphis, uh, one of the things I did on S- Sunday evenings was I volunteered as a chaplain at the Shelby County Jail, which is not like Benton County Jail, okay? It's a little bigger, okay? Shelby County, Memphis area. It was like a penitentiary, and I would go in there every week. I'd pass the gates and checks, and I had to go all kinds of checks. That was years and years ago. I can remember meeting a young man in there. Well, a young man, middle-aged man at that time. I was a young man. Um, And he literally talked about his life, how he was in prison, out of prison, in prison, out of prison. He said, I've spent more of my life, whether in juvie or in adult prison, I've spent more time behind bars than I've spent life out of bars. I said, why? He says, I don't know how. This is a very wise statement for a person locked up behind bars. He says, I don't know how to live free. I don't know how to live on the other side of these chains. I don't know how to live on the other side of these bars. I'll just go out and I'll repeat. I'll go out and I'll relive it. And I'm back in here again. And I know that's the statistics of so many people. But listen, it's the statistics of so many people in life, spiritually captive to attitudes, to ways they can't break free from. Something must die every day. It's a part of that I'm willing to sacrifice but it's also an unreserved surrender. Everything that Jesus is asking of his disciples, he models. His unrivaled love, he loved us to the point of dying for us. His unlimited sacrifice, he put himself on the cross for us. His unreserved surrender. When Jesus was praying, he prayed for people to be healed. They were healed. He prayed for fish to be multiplied. It was multiplied. Bread to be multiplied. Everything that Jesus prayed for, he got, right? He just, he's God. He can do that. And then he prayed, God, if there's any way that this cup would pass from me, that I wouldn't have to go to the cross, then let it pass from me. He said, nevertheless, your will not mine be done. And Jesus said, no, you're going to the cross. So even he took himself, his own will, and he put it out there. Unreserved surrender to God. Listen, there's a lot of cheap grace, as Bonhoeffer called it, Christianity today, easy believism. I call it the gummy bear faith. It comes in different flavors. There's all kinds of flavors out there. Just drive up and down the streets, you'll find a flavor of a church that's, that's just about everyone out there. It's also soft and squishy times. There's a lot of faith that's soft and squishy, but we like that faith that's sweet and sugary. That's the kind of faith we like. There's a lot of gummy, bear faith out there, and not solid biblical t- teaching. We like our worship to be like Coldplay concerts, and our teachings to be like our sermons to be like TED talks. Inspire me. Let me have a good time with a good beat. And that's what we want our churches to be. The problem is, as Leonard Sweet said, when ministers become social workers, preachers become motivational speakers, evangelism becomes marketing, the result is Jim crack gospel that is tawdry, tacky, and cheap. That is so true. And I wish today I could say, oh, if you'll just say this prayer, it's all gonna be perfect. If you'll just raise your hand, when the preacher says raise your hand, It'll all be fixed. If you'll just get dunked in the baptism, it'll all be, that's all you need. You go on living your own life. You go on doing it your own way. That's not at all what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The first words of Jesus after his baptism, after his 40 days in the wilderness, when he's starting his ministry, his very first word of his very first sermon is recorded in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. It says, And Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. It's a call to a changed life. That's the life that Jesus calls us to. We're no longer calling our shots. We're surrendering everything back over to him. The last words, interestingly enough, the last words of Peter in the Pentecostal message on the day when 3,000 people became followers of Jesus was, repent. Now when they heard that they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized. And in that order, it is me repenting, giving my life over to him, me seeing my life change and me walking through the waters of baptism as a testimony of my salvation in God. No holding back, no holding on. Look at the last words of this passage we read. So therefore, verse 33, so therefore, anyone of you who does not renounce all, cannot, say it with me, cannot be my disciple. This is not hardline Jesus. Remember, he has high commitment. He has high relationship. And from that, he pours himself out for us in an unlimited sacrifice. He loves us as a shepherd. He knows us by name. Unrivaled love for us, John 3 16, that he has for anybody else. Unrivaled love, a un, uh, 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 surrender, a uh, 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 sacrifice. He's only modeled it for us. So it's hard, so hard, it's so heart wrenching. When a, a very affluent young man, I don't know how he made his money, comes up to Jesus who had a deep place inside of his soul that wasn't quite fixed. He had the money. He had the income. He had, he had all that all lined out, but there was still something inside of his soul that wasn't right. He Comes to Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What, what, what can I do? Jesus knew his heart. And he says, Can I obey this commandment, that commandment? And he's going through all this list of do's and don'ts. He was doing everything he could to make himself right with God. And then Jesus turns to him. And again, hard statements sometimes come out of Jesus' mouth even. He says, and Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And here's that invitation again. Come, follow. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Is Jesus telling you to go become a monk? No. But if you love your money, if you love your fame, if you have position, if you love anything more than you love Jesus, you're not ready to be his disciple. He's calling us to absolute, complete surrender. It's a big calling but it comes out of a love relationship with him. I hope today, before you see a bunch of do's and don'ts, you see a Jesus who loves you and that you'll just fall in love with Jesus. And then let that obedience and that sacrifice and that commitment be what drives your life, moves you forward. Don't let it be like this man. He was more in love with his stuff than he was with Jesus. Just bow your heads with me. I'm going to ask you a question. And before you quickly answer it, think deeply about it. Are you a disciple of Jesus? Living an unashamed, un Unrivaled love for him. What about sacrifice? You willing to put it all out there for him? Even your ambitions and desires of life? That's what it means to be fully obedient. There's no crevice, there's no corner, there's nothing of your life. And in absolute surrender to him. If not, why not today? Make the adjustment. And yes, start with prayer. And yes, go to him and say, just as we did at the last song, I surrender all. Say to Jesus, right where you're sitting, say, Jesus, I am surrendering all to you here and now, all to you I owe. I'm giving myself to you. And then my invitation is the same as I gave you last week. When we stand and sing in a moment, I'm going to walk out that side door. I'm going to go straight to guest central. You come meet me there. We had one man last week give himself to following Jesus. Who will it be this week? Father God, in this space, in this time, would you show up? Would you, would you cleanse? Would you make right? Would you, Lord, would you just deepen our love relationship with you? Would you raise our commitment to you? Because Lord, that's the life you lived for us. You're not asking us to do anything that you didn't already do for us. You want a reciprocal relationship where we are giving 100% just as you gave 100%. Lord, if we're holding anything back, Lord, speak to our hearts now. Call us to you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church Podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.